0: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode, you'll hear John Flynn. And they're like, yeah, 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 the place is
3: haunted. And I was like, my agent did not tell me about that. (laughs)
0: That and more. But before that... You know the feeling you get when you can get things done with the click of the mouse? It can't get more convenient. And now you can get even your mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk. Thanks to Stamps.com. Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own personal post office that never closes. It's that convenient. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and printer. Then you can just hand your mail to the mailman or drop it in the mailbox and you'll never have to go to the post office Again, we use stamps.com at risk and the story studio. And right now, you can use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no risk trial plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to fifty five dollars free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the home page and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Also, you might remember Chris Castiglione was a member of the Risk team for a long time. He created our site risk-show.com and Chris went on to create an online class called 1 Month HTML. A lot of Risk fans took the class and loved it. Well, now Chris and his business partner, Matan, have created one month rails, a series of bite sized video lessons and step by step tutorials to teach anyone, even a total beginner, how to build the first web application like a simple photo sharing app in just 30 days. If you get stuck, there's always a real person to help you out. In one month Rails, you'll learn Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, Bootstrap, GitHub, and more. Over 14,000 students have already started building their dream app and taking their career to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Enroll now at onemonth.com slash you. Enrollment is typically $99, but if you join now, you'll get a one-time discount of 25% off for joining, and as always, you're helping to support risk. Again, it's One Month Rails, 30 minutes a day for 30 days, and you'll actually build your first web app. Now here's the show. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is a bit of Jeff Barr, our episode editor's madness, happening behind us now. A lot of that in this episode, because this episode is Boo! Our... Halloween themed episode of 2014. We were a little worried there for a while, guys. I sent out a tweet and a Facebook posting in a panic. Uh, a couple days ago saying Oh my god I don't think we can have a Halloween themed episode this week Because we don't have enough juicy stuff And that sent Risk fans, you guys, into a panic And got enough people writing us back with really good stories So here it is, we got it, it's late, but it's great And so, in a little bit We're going to hear from uh, Risk fan Ron Butchko who responded to that panic call. Uh, but before that, we're going to start with a live story from Stacey Keen that she shared when we were recently in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So without further ado, here she is now, Stacy Keen, with a story we call The Hodophobe.
2: The D. I've been worried about pronouncing that right, like all week. And I don't want you guys to think I mean something else, because I'm definitely not that. Hodophobia is the fear of traveling. And for me, it's specific to cars and driving. So, you know, I'm sure that a lot of are like, oh, come on, is that really a real phobia? Can't you just face your fears, you know? And I'm sure you're the same assholes who tell depressed people, like, just cheer up. <laughs> but it really can be a debilitating phobia. Um, it's affected where I've chosen to live, where I'm able to work, how effectively I parent. Like, I never make it out to, all the way out to Ikea. <laughs> it sucks. But um, it can also really affect your personal relationships. You'd be surprised how many people, like, take offense to my phobia. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. So, hey, Stace, do you need a ride to the show tomorrow? Uh, no thanks. Uh, I'm going to take the bus. You sure? I go right past your house. I can just swing by and pick you right up. Well, actually, I have to say, um, I'm kind of afraid of being in cars. Oh, no, you don't have to worry about that. I'm a really safe driver. I've never even been in an accident. Thank you. I know it's, it's not personal, but yeah, hey, I'll see you there, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let me put that same conversation into the context of fear that I think you'll be, you know, able to relate to. Hey, Stace, do you need a ride to the show tomorrow? I could pick you up in my car made of spiders. <laughs> uh, no thanks. I have arachnophobia. Oh no, no, no! Don't worry. My car spiders—they're not poisonous. <laughs>
0: so.
2: <laughs> And I wish, I always wish, that I could remember, like, one point in time, like a traumatic event that triggered this whole phobia, because then maybe counseling would be effective and worth the money. But um, I can't, you know. I think, honest to God, I think I was really just born this way. Now, when I was really little, I was slightly less nervous, but we had a 76 Cadillac Sedan Andeville, and that's almost exactly like a tank. <laughs> and I also had my big sister in the back seat with me ever level-headed, she would reach over and hold my hand anytime I would peep like I was scared. And she would say to me, it's okay, sis. You know mom's a good driver. We're perfectly safe. And uh, she would start talking to me about the shows we had watched the night before on TV or sing songs that we both loved, anything to distract me. And when she became 16 and got her own driver's license, she would take me out for rides on backcountry roads and tell me all about, this is how driving works, this is why it's safe, this, this is how the car works, you know, trying to appeal to my logic. And she would even let me have control of the radio, all 6 a.m. stations. <laughs> but even, you know, slowly driving around back roads, singing Neil Diamond songs, like, I could not get past my irrational fear. And, uh, you know, to this day, I'm primarily a pedestrian. But... There are times in everyone's life, no matter how scared you are, that you have to get in a car or else you miss out on so much stuff, you know? And it was on one of these particular days that something happened to me that proved to me that I was absolutely right. Driving is a terrifyingly dangerous experience. So I was on a trip back home to visit my parents with my sister. But this time, it wasn't just my sister and I. My baby daughter, Telly, was with us. And Janine, my sister, knew that she was going to have to be really careful to like prepare for the trip and be there for me and accommodate me. And so she had made a CD of like sister songs that we both loved, that we could sing together at the top of our lungs. And she made a CD of baby songs, like cute, upbeat ditties that we assume she'll like. And uh, she brought snacks and water and aromatherapy, everything short of Valium, which in retrospect is probably the thing to have brought. (laughs) You know, the ride there was completely uneventful. I mean, I was scared out of my mind like a couple times, but that's normal. Like for instance, did you know that the sound of rumble strips does not necessarily denote certain death? (laughs) And that like, uh, it's okay and perfectly natural to accelerate partway through a curve, you know? And, no matter how many times I wondered, yes, her brakes do work. (laughs) At one point we hit a bug and it splattered all over the windshield and all I could think was, oh my god, so much velocity, you know. But we made it there in one piece and we had a wonderful time and I had many glasses of wine. So as we embarked on our journey home, I was far more relaxed, you know. And uh, on the way home, my daughter fell asleep so we took out the baby CD, thank god because there's only so many times you can listen to the dulcet tones of Barney the Dinosaur. But I take out that CD, and I put in the sister CD, and a song we both love comes on. And it's by a band called The Great Big Sea. And it's about a great big draft horse named Kit. And uh, she falls through the ice in Newfoundland, and she dies. And it is a really emotional song. And my sister and I are both like, oh, crying and singing along. And I'm like, oh, I love horses. And she's like, I know, I love Canada. And just at that exact moment, the whole car is flooded with this bright, vibrating light. And I'm like, holy shit. So I look back, and there's this big truck. And its headlights are just like, blaring into the car and i'm like oh my god but i always freak out so i look over to my sister for cues like is this something to be scared about and she's annoyed but she doesn't look scared so i'm like okay it's okay it's a close call it's fine sure we're fine and she says oh you know he's just being an asshole he needs to pass us but when we get up around this corner up here he'll be able to scoot right by there's a passing lane and I'm like, oh, cool, that passing lane, great. And she goes on singing about a dead horse, and I'm just like obsessing on how long it's going to take us to get to this passing lane. And I'm looking at this guy behind me, and <clears throat> all I could think of were like the monster truck commercials on TV from when I was little, like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And I'm thinking like <laughs> fire is going to shoot out of this truck. And I'm like, oh god, passing lane, passing lane, passing lane. And we get there to the passing lane. I'm like, he's just going to go right around us, right? He does not. He stays right on our ass. And my sister's like, oh, maybe he doesn't see this. So she puts her arm out the window and she gives that universal, you know, you may pass unchallenged" signal. But he does not. He stays right on our ass. So she turns on a right turn signal thinking, well, he's not going to want to slow down. So he'll just go right. No, he stays right on. In fact, he gets closer and starts blinking his lights. And I'm like, oh, my God. And my sister says, ah. I don't think he wants to pass us. And I'm thinking, I wonder what he does want to do. And just as we're both about to think, like, this is pretty creepy, he backs off. And I'm like, oh, just another false alarm. And my sister's like, hey, you can't let assholes like that bother you. You know, we're safe. We're going to be fine. But I still have my eye on him. And he's still back there. He's just way far back there. In fact, it looks like he stopped in the middle of the road. And I get this really uncomfortable feeling. And all of a sudden, those headlights came at us with such speed and intensity that both my sister and I prepared for an impact. But right before he hit us, he backed off a little. He stayed right on our ass. And now he's like swerving and beeping and blinking. And my sister said, okay, sis, you know what? I think he's fucking with us. So I pull out my phone and I call 911. Okay, I have to say sorry to this 911 <laughs> operator because when she picked up the phone, all that I could think of to say was, oh my God, he's chasing us and he's gonna kill us. <laughs> and she's like, um, could you please state your location? And I'm like, I in my sister's car. And <laughs> apparently they needed more information than that. But uh, she was very patient and she asked a lot of questions and apparently she got to the point where she realized two women alone on a back road in the country with a baby in the car and a murderous maniac chasing them. So she decides to patch us through to an officer who's in the area. So I'm waiting for him to get onto the phone, and I'm scared. I'm like, oh, my God, what is Why is this happening? This is crazy. And the police officer gets on the line, and just as he's saying, like, could you please try to explain your location? The truck turns off the road and it's gone. And I'm like, oh okay, all right, thank God, okay, okay, he's gone, he's, he turned off the road, he's gone, we're okay, and the cop is like, are you sure you're okay, and I'm like, he's not here anymore, we're okay, and he's like, okay, you know, just, he's not following you, and I'm like, no, we're good, and he's like, okay, well, and I'm like, but wait, you still have to pursue him because he was driving like crazy. And he's like, yes, ma'am, I understand. I'm like, no, you promise me right now that you're going to go get that guy. And he's like, yes, ma'am, I understand. Thank you. We will do that. You please stay on the line and talk to the dispatcher. She's going to have some questions to ask you. So as I'm waiting for her to get on the line, my baby wakes up. So and she starts like, eh. Like, she's going to cry, and I feel like I'm going to cry, and I'm like, oh, my God, no. So I, I, I take uh, the CD out, and, and I put the baby CD back in. And she's whimpering, and I'm trying not to cry, so I decide the best thing to do is just to sing along with the music. So I start, there's a party in my tummy. so yummy. So yummy. And the operator comes on and goes, pardon me? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, oh, sorry. I'm just singing your gabba gabba to the baby. She just woke up. And she's like, oh, that's cute. So we're relaxed. And she's taking information from me. you know, No big deal. And all of a sudden, I look up ahead. And there's an intersection coming up. And I'm like, no fucking way. Oh, my god. No. And it was. It was the fire-breathing motherfucking truck. So I'm like, oh, my god. And she's like, uh, the, the, the truck? And I'm like, yes, he's going to turn right on. And sure enough, we pass him and he turned right on, right onto the road, right up behind us. And this time he's pissed. And he's beeping, and he's jerking the wheel around, and he's like coming up beside us and going right along with us and then falling right back behind us. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And just at this point, a Lori Berkner song comes on. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard a grown woman buzz like a bee into a microphone, but it is impossible not to laugh unless you believe you're about to die. (laughs) So I turned the radio off. And the police officer gets back on the line and he says, Ma'am, somebody else has called in saying that they're witnessing a high-speed chase. So we have a better idea of your location. All I heard was, oh my God, from an onlooker, this is a high-speed chase. And now this shit's real and I'm freaking out. So I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And my sister goes, okay, Stace, listen, I love you so much. And I love Telly so much. And I promise you. I'm going to keep you safe but here's the thing i need you to do me a favor you need to close your eyes because we need to go a little bit faster and i'm like oh my god okay okay so i close my eyes and we go a little bit faster and i can't breathe and my eyes are squeezed shut and i'm saying we're going so fast we're going so fast we're going so fast we're going so fast and the police officer says, could you please state your speed, ma'am? And I look over at the dashboard, and I'm like,
4: oh, my God, over 85, over 85, over
2: 85. I can't look again. I can't look again. I can't look again. And he's like, okay, relax. It's okay. Calm down. And I'm like, "Again? I can't even understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. I'm really scared. And he's like, no, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, no, it's fucking not. And so my sister goes, okay, sis, you know what it's like? You know what it's like? You know? It's like it's like Miami Vice but without boats, right? Remember Miami Vice, right? They always catch the bad guy. And remember Crockett? He was so hot. We're going to catch the bad guy, Stace. It's going to be okay. And I was like, okay, we're going to catch the bad guy. My tub's is hotter. Okay, we're going to catch the bad guy. So I'm freaking out, trying not to pass out. And uh, we go around this corner and it's like, Arr! and I scream out loud. And my sister's like, no, 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 it's okay, Stace. You know what it's like? You know what it's like? It's like chips. You remember chips? Remember chips? It's more like chips, right? Because they're gonna catch the bad guy, and then they're gonna go back to the office, and they're gonna laugh about him, and it's gonna be awesome. And I'm like, right, right. They're gonna catch the bad guy. We're gonna laugh at him. We're gonna laugh at him. We're gonna laugh at him. And then I start like almost passing out. And I'm like, Janine, we're gonna die. And she's like, No, we're not gonna die. We're th- we're gonna get through this. And they're gonna catch the bad guy. No, 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 we're gonna die. We're not- I love you, I love you. And She's like, Shut the fuck up. We're not gonna die. And I'm like, No, but I love you. And she's okay. It's like Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> but without rednecks. Okay. Maybe with a redneck. And I'm like, you know what? Just stop being funny and just fucking drive. And she's like, okay. Okay. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And just at this minute, I see right in front of us, Salzburg, right? This right in front of us is Salzburg. And the cop had said to me, Do not stop the car or get out of the car until you get to the convenience store in Salzburg. I'm like, there's Salzburg, where's the convenience store? But I realized that we're going really, really fast. And in order to get to the convenience store in Salzburg, we have to go around a big corner. And I look at my sister and I say, thank you, I love you, I know you tried. And she slowed down just enough to take the corner and I don't think all of our car was on the road. But somehow we made it. And I look back and I see that the truck, he has to slow way down to get around this corner. And I'm like, yes, we're gonna make it, right? And I look ahead of us and there's the convenience store. It's amazing. There are two police cars there, there's a paramedic, there's lights, I'm like, oh my god, we made it. And for the first time in this ride, I took like a deep breath. And my sister pulls right in between the two cop cars. And at that moment, I left my body, you know, like I closed my eyes shut and I had this sensation like everything was spinning and spinning, like when you've been going in circles and you're dizzy and I need this to stop, you know, and my head's buzzing and I'm not really aware of anything that's around me. The only thing I notice is the bong, bong of my sister's door, which is so comforting because that means we're not moving. And then I hear tap, tap, tap on the window and I hear, are you okay, ma'am? Are you okay? And I look up and it's a police officer. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. And he's like, are you okay? And I look up at this guy and he is the hottest police officer (laughs) I have ever seen. And he's like, are you okay, ma'am? And I'm like, I am now. (laughs) So I, I open my door and I get up on shaky legs and I take a deep breath and I realize Oh my God, my sister was right. This is just like one of those shows we loved when we were little. There's lights everywhere, all this excitement. You know, I hear suspect apprehended on a police radio. <laughs> and I see my sister, the hero there, with my daughter in her arms, unscathed. And I mean, hot cop, he even looked like Eric Estrada. <laughs> no, I'm like, This is the happy ending I was hoping for. But then I felt it. Just as Hot Cop was taking my hand to escort me away from the car, I felt this familiar feeling. I spent half my life in fear, so I knew what this was. My legs were cold, my pants felt really heavy. (laughs) And I looked down to confirm that I had indeed Heed my <laughs> and I don't know if it's because I just had a baby, or the intensity of the situation, but I held nothing back.
4: <laughs>
2: I was like, this is just the kind of happy ending I should expect. But it's okay, it's okay. Officer Poncherello, he pretended not to notice. <laughs> but nowadays, if I find myself in a car, terrified, without the comfort of my big sister, the first thing I do is I look in the rearview mirror and I make sure that there's not some fucking lunatic following me. And the second thing I do is I try to channel my sister's energy. So if I'm ever in the car with you and I just start randomly talking about Magnum PI, slow the fuck down. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Evil has visited the earth in many forms, now it returns as the car.
5: to say it was back in 1976 my uh, parents and I lived in a small house in the junkyard that my dad ran there was very little plumbing in the house and no bathroom at all we did our business in an outhouse Off the dining room was the only usable bedroom in the place and I shared that with my parents I remember waking up one night thinking mommy was hurting daddy because to me it looked like she was bouncing up and down on his stomach while he was obviously moaning in agony My parents got married young. Dad was 19, Mom 18. They were both ball busters. Dad was a storyteller. If there was something on the landscape that was at all out of place, or a misspelled sign, or anything, he could weave a spellbinding tale that would explain how the anomaly came to be. Mom was the queen of sarcasm. She had a scathing wit, and if you were its target, She could shame you while making you laugh at yourself at the same time. I showed her once, much later, that I had inherited at least a little of this by asking her in the company of churchy-type people, Mom, if it takes nine months to have a baby, how come you were married in March and I was born in May? To which she immediately comes back with, the first one can come at any time. After that, they always take nine months. Unfortunately, living in the junkyard, I wasn't allowed to roam freely. There was piles of old cars, not stacks, but piles haphazardly placed everywhere. Dad used to load cars onto trailers to bring to the port. And I used to watch and think that that was my destiny. I was gonna run a crane and I was gonna drive trucks. All kinds of stuff a kid might like to play on, but of course, you know, too dangerous, and I was mostly kept in the house. I remember one time Dad had caught the crane on fire, and I remember watching him try to put it out with buckets of rainwater that just happened to be laying around. Dad had a really bad temper. He was diabetic and didn't take great care of himself, so he never really felt well and was prone to extreme mood swings. He also dabbled in heroin, which didn't really make things any better. When he was pissed off, his eyes would turn from baby blue to almost black, and the veins in his forehead would start to bulge and throb. I remember watching him go after guys he had no business fucking with when they had pissed him off and he would chase them down and a fight would generally ensue. I never remember actually seeing dad hit my mom, but they fought constantly. And I had seen him throwing things and uh, throwing himself downstairs and into walls. It was mayhem, constant mayhem. He was a really, really scary guy to a kid my age. One night, we uh, came home from, I want to say it was my uncle's house. And as soon as we got into the house, the fighting ensued. And... It was normal at first. They were fighting back and forth, and I didn't really pay much attention to what the subject matter was because they did it all the time. But then it escalated into a kind of hysterics. Mom would scream, and Dad would yell at her to, Shut the fuck up! And this went back and forth for a while. You know, she'd scream. He'd be like, Shut up! Shut up! Eventually, Dad grabbed his shotgun and sent me into the bedroom that we shared where I went there in the dark and hid under a blanket on the floor. Out in the dining room, the fight just kept going and it got louder and louder and louder. And, you know, mom would scream, and dad shut up! Mom would scream, dad, shut up! Scream, shut up! <laughs> Shotgun went off, and there was silence. After that, I heard dad's heavy footsteps coming toward the door. I could see the light under the door and I could see two feet there. And then the door started to open. The light on the floor opened up like a Japanese paper fan. When the door was wide open, I see the silhouette of my father in the doorway. He came walking into the bedroom and he must have heard me whimpering under the cover. He took the blanket off my head, and he looked down at me, and he said, Are you okay? Come on. It's okay now. We can go in the other room. And I hesitantly got up and walked out into the other room to find my mother peeling the wings of the bat that had scared the shit out of her, and Dad had to shoot off the wall. Where secrets lie, in the border fires and the humming wise hey man. You know you're never coming back. Past the square, across the bridge, past the mills, past
6: the stacks. On a gathering
5: storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.
0: is Risk. This is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds behind me now. And in a little bit, we're going to hear just a little anecdote that Beowulf Jones and Sarah Benincasa shared at a recent Risk live show at the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles. Normally, uh, it's every fourth Thursday. There at Nerd Melt in L.A. where you can go see Risk Live. Also, the same is true in New York every fourth Thursday, but in New York it's at the People's Improv Theater. And then after that, we're going to hear a story from Candace Carter, who was one of those fans who got to us at the last minute with a fantastic story. So we're going to hear from her soon. But before all that, we're going to hear a tale that Melissa Murphy shared at uh, the last time that Risk was in Washington, D.C., and it's a story we call Shelby's Place.
4: So, I'm standing in the kitchen of a house that my husband and I are desperate to buy uh, We've been looking for a house for about a year And we finally found one that's inside the beltway and in our price range So it was a miracle And <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're talking with our real estate agent We're about to write, you know, all the checks you have to write to put in your offer And I'm in this kitchen and it's just streaming with light and it's kind of dilapidated, like the whole house is just totally gone to shit and it's been deserted for a while, you could tell. And I said to the real estate agent, what do you know about the seller? What do you know about the person who lived here before we are here? And he said, oh, you know, you're talking about a woman named Shelby. And Shelby was this little old lady and she passed away. But, you know, she was a little old lady, and she had this uh, really big personality. She loved to go to Atlantic City. She really loved to gamble. She had a closet full of furs. Like, she had a live-in boyfriend. She was was very, very fun. And I said, oh, that's so great, because I looked around the house, and I could tell that somebody who, the person who had lived in this house really, really loved this house so much. And I said... To my real estate agent, did she die in the house? Because that's like the one thing that like I wanted to know, you know? And he said, no, 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 she she didn't die in her. She passed away, but she didn't die in the house. I said, oh good, okay. So <laughs> the thing about me that's a little funny is that I tend to be able to read people's energy really, really well. Like I'm not psychic by any means, but like when I meet somebody, I kind of know a lot about them, right? Like I know who they are and what their intentions are and you know, just like I can sense their energy, right? And I could sense this really great energy in the house and I was really looking forward to hopefully buying this house and living there and I had a six month old baby and I was gonna get like a really, like a lot of really good night sleep in this house because at this point like you're not sleeping at all. And it really, (laughs) it really sucks. So, I'm not psychic at all, but I've had some experiences that kind of verge on, like, the paranormal. Uh, My grandmother and I were really, really close, and she was this really fun Polish lady. She spoke four different languages, and she taught me, like, everything I know about makeup, and she was, like, really, really close. And when I was in college, she would write me letters every week. She had this very distinctive handwriting. It was very loopy and and she was like a very smart, wonderful lady. And at the end of every letter, she would always say, Write me back. And I always did. And I found out she I was living overseas and she passed away. And I was so upset because like in the Jewish tradition, the burials are like twenty-four hours, not even twenty-four hours later, like you have to be buried like immediately. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to get home for the funeral, and I was so, so sad. And I was so sad, I decided I was going to go and just take a shower and think about my grandmother, and it was nighttime, and it was about to go to bed. So I get in the shower, and I'm just thinking, and I, I say out loud, I'm really going to miss you, and I'm really going to miss our letters. Like, I, I, I love you, and I just I hope you're in a good place and I get out of the shower and it's so steamy and I'm like looking for the towel, it's like the steamiest shower like I've ever taken. And I go and I'm drying off and I reach my toothbrush and there in the mirror, in the steam, there are my initials in this gray looping handwriting that I could have sworn was my grandmother's. And I just felt in my heart that that was her way of saying goodbye. And is that proof that there's an afterlife? No. But in my heart, it was, it was something. Uh, fast forward to a few years later, we got the house, yay! And, uh, <laughs> yay! And by this time, we've been in the house for about a couple of years, and by this time, I've got two kids. They're two years apart, and I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> That's terrible. And I'm not sleeping at all. <laughs> That's the hard thing. Because, like, nobody's sleeping. I'm not sleeping. The kids aren't sleeping. And you're, like, kind of crazy. And it was, <laughs> it was right before Thanksgiving. And finally, I remember I had this perfect week where, like, everyone was sleeping through the night. And I was so happy because I felt like a normal human being, like, for once. And I go to sleep. About 3 in the morning, I'm wide awake. And my eyes pop open, and it's as if someone's been, like, shaking the bed. And I, it's so dark, and, like, my husband's next to me, and he's not making any noise. It's silent. It's, it's just like, like somebody's there. I can tell. I can feel somebody's in the room. And the weirdest thing is there's one thought in my head, and that is I can't move my feet. Why can't I move my feet? Why, why are my feet paralyzed? This is really strange. And I get up, like, I move my feet, and I walk around. And I can move my feet, like, I'm not, I'm fine. You know, I go back to sleep, and I think, okay, it's weird, but whatever. You know, I'll go to sleep. So the next night, again, 3 in the morning, my eyes pop open. The room is so cold. And I know that it shouldn't be because my husband cranks up the heat like every second. Like the house is like usually boiling and it's freezing. And there's like somebody's there. And the thought in my head is my entire lower body, I can't, I can't move it. Why can't I move it? And I'm really starting to freak out. Like my, I, I'm, my heart's beating really fast and I'm starting to get really worked up and I get out and I walk around and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, you know, this is really strange because sometimes you wake up and you've had like a dream and you know you're in a dream. And this was like no dream. Like I was completely lucid. I was awake. And I think, okay, you know what? I don't know. So I'm just going to go back to sleep. And I went back to sleep. The next night, same time, I wake up, and this time it's unmistakable. I can't move my entire body from head to toe and I'm like shaking and I'm thinking what is wrong and in, the, in the back of my head I'm thinking to myself you know I've always kind of had this like oh I'm kind of a, a hypochondriac you know like this like stereotypical <laughs> like Jewish girl and I'm thinking to myself can I have like teetered into like I'm crazy now <laughs> you know like or is this just what happens when you enter your 30s Like, is that, I don't know. I think, okay, well, you know, I get up, I walk around, I just think, okay, this is just too strange. I'm just going to try to go to sleep. I can't sleep. I have, like, terrible days. I'm like a zombie. I wake up the next night, and this time it's totally different. The only uh, thing in my head is I'm having a stroke, and I'm going to die. And then as soon as that thought was in my head, it disappeared, and I was fine. And... This was so weird. It happened over a week, and I didn't really think about it too much because I was busy, I guess. And then it was Thanksgiving, and everything was fine. After Thanksgiving, my neighbors, we all get together, right, after we have this, like, post-Thanksgiving drinks thing. And we're all really close. I have, like, a really great neighborhood. And I'm talking, I'm just saying to her, she goes, how's the house? The house is fine. I said, oh, I just got all this junk mail for Shelby, the lady who used to live here. And I said, isn't that funny? You get all this junk mail. Like, you can be dead for, like, years and years and years, and you still get this junk mail coming. And I was still getting the junk mail for, like, the fine furs and Atlantic City and all this <laughs> stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, it's really annoying. And I said, um, you know, I never asked this before, but I guess I could ask it now because I've been here long enough. It's not creepy. How, how did Shelby die? How did she die? And Anna's face goes like, oh, boy. And she goes, oh, you're not going to want to hear this because you're like a total hypochondriac. It's really going to freak you out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to know. I, need to, I don't need to know. So she said, well, it was like a really, really fluky thing, right? Shelby, this little old lady who wasn't really all that old, she was in her mid-70s. She was very vibrant, again, did all, like, living life, like, totally living her life. And she decided, it was a week before Thanksgiving, several years before we bought the house, she decides she's gonna go and get a flu shot, which you're supposed to get, like everybody's supposed to get. And this terrible thing happens to her. She gets this really rare syndrome. It's called Gillian Barr syndrome. I don't know if everyone's heard of it. It's like, you're more likely to get like struck by lightning. It's like that rare. And what happened very quickly was, she started becoming paralyzed. And it started with her feet, and it moved up her legs, and it moved up her body, and then she had a massive stroke, and she died. So I was like, holy shit, I've been possessed! for like a week by this lady who still needs to work out all this like energy and I and you know like I have to say like I wasn't all that surprised to find this out because I'm thinking like well if anyone was going to absorb like all this energy it's going to be me (laughs) right so I think oh you know I started feeling really sad and I had this like like one of my biggest fears is to get really sick really quickly and then to die really suddenly I think that's probably not like a crazy fear But that was what happened to her And I wanted to I didn't know what I could do But I, that night Went home And everyone was asleep And I like lit some candles And was burning some incense And I just decided That I was just gonna talk to her I was gonna talk to her Like I had talked to my grandmother All those years ago In the shower Hoping that she could hear me And I said, Shelby you know, I'm so sorry about what happened to you. It must have been really, really horrible. And I totally sympathize. And I just want to say that, like, I love this house. And I know you love this house so much, too. And you're welcome to stay here for as long as you want. But I can't, like, feel your energy anymore. <laughs> because it was really, really scary. And I swear to God, like, I felt more than like I heard, but I felt someone just go, okay. And then everything was gone. And I haven't felt her since. I haven't felt anything in the house since. And I just have to say, like, again, is this all scientific proof that there's life after death? Definitely not. There's no scientific proof. But, like, in my heart of hearts, do I believe that there's something...
3: Totally. <laughs>
6: Can I just tell you guys something spooky that happened to me earlier this week? Yes, it is a a bit of a a spooky sort of time of the year. Yeah, this is really funny. Um, A couple days ago, my friend Hugh uh, died unexpectedly. That's not the funny part. Um, But uh, I ordered pizza that night. And when I got the pizzas from Crispy Crust, I opened the box and inside the box, someone had drawn with a marker a gravestone, and it said "R.I.P. Hugh." Ooh. I don't. And I was like, "What the fuck? How does Crispy Crust know?" Am I, <laughs> am I being monitored by Crispy Crust? Are they, are they the Scientology of pizza people? <laughs> like a uh, weird I, NSA is, of yeah, pizza. Yeah, yeah. This is what Snowden was talking about. <laughs> he was talking about Krispy Crust. So I was totally freaked out because I thought it was like. I guess I appreciate the gesture, but but how did they know?
4: Is, a- it, is it K? Is it like k K-rispy? K ris- no, just with a C. Fuck! Yeah. All right. Still yeah. cool. Still cool.
6: Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's great pizza. There's no denying that. But uh, when you order from them online, I finally figured it out, you have to add special instructions on a few pages. So usually I just write, uh, please bring napkins, And call went outside because of a gate, and I just copy and paste. And I guess I didn't paste very well, (laughs) because I was looking at the receipt. Uh, Sarah, right under where it says, online order 7811054, customer instructions, can you read what the instructions were?
4: Okay, this looks like a Dead Sea Scroll, first of all. (laughs) Um, It says, instructions... Heartbreaking to hear about Hugh's passing. He had nothing but a positive, inspirational impact on my life. And the fact that he had the same impact on countless other people's lives, many more than I'll ever know about, is a testament to the strength of Hugh's character and legacy.
6: <laughs> and then underneath that, it says six piece wings, extra hot sauce, blue cheese. <laughs> So that happened earlier this week. That's
4: the most beautiful tribute to a dead friend I've ever heard of. I
6: know, I've never been so pissed off someone's dead because Hugh would have loved this.
4: <laughs> Everybody up and do your Halloween, Halloween. Everybody up and do your Halloween thing. Everybody up and do your Halloween thing. When you hear the gun say,
1: grew up in the rural part of the Front Range of Colorado. When I was 18, I was really close friends with this really tight-knit group of guys. One of them developed this really intense crush on me, which just wasn't reciprocated. Most of the time it was alright, but sometimes it got a little weird. One night, He calls me up and tells me that everyone is going to go bowling in the next town over and asks me if I want to go with them. So, he comes and gets me in his beat up old SUV and we head over. The next town over is 25 minutes away and we take the back roads. Which are kind of a dark narrow winding road but it actually ended up being a lot quicker than the highway. As we start getting through this windy road, he's getting progressively more agitated, and he is kind of taking it out on the music that we're listening to. And he gets really upset that there's a song that he doesn't like that's playing on the radio and kind of dives into his music collection and picks out a CD that he wants to listen to and he kind of fumbles it and it drops on my side of the car next to my feet. I start to reach down for it and he just dives down to grab it. It kind of startled me. It was a strange reaction to dropping a CD. It kind of takes me aback and I move to the other side of the car and he's rooting around and he's having a hard time picking it up. So his head is down and I look up and I see that we are veering off the side of the road and there is something on the side of the road right next to the sign. And as the headlights focus on this, I realize that it's a person. I have just enough time to say, oh my God, and then there's a thump. I see this person roll over the hood and off the side of the car. And there's also this splash on my window and on the windshield, of blood. And he, he doesn't see any of this. He just hears the thump. So he looks up and he grabs onto the steering wheel, and he says, "Oh my gosh, what happened? What happened?" I say, "I, we, we hit something." And he's like, "Did we hit a deer?" I'm like, no. I think we've hit a person. And he says, "What?" What? No, no, there's no way we could have hit a person. And he stops the car and we run back to the spot. As we're heading over there, we see a single shoe in the middle of the road with blood splattered around it. We're looking through the ditch and the grass is really high. And so we're kind of swimming through it, looking for somebody. And we're saying, hello, hello, are you all right? Are you all right? And I don't see any sign. Of anything. So I look up and I see the grass moving and then I see a figure moving from out of the ditch running for our car and they jump to the car and slam the door and they speed off in the opposite direction. So there we are standing in the middle of the road looking at our car driving away from us and I get out the cell phone and dial 911. And he looks at me and he says, "What are you doing?" I said, I'm, I'm calling 911. He's like, "No, no, you can't call 911. Like, you just hit a person, and now the person has stolen our vehicle. This is a 911-worthy situation." And he grabs a phone from my car and says, "No." I need a second to think about this, I'm going to go to jail, I've hit someone, I'm going to get careless driving, I'm going to lose my license, this is a really big deal, I need a second to think about this. So I'm starting to argue with him about this point when we see the brake lights get hit on the car. And then we hear the car squealing its tires as it U-turns and comes back towards us. this car is barreling towards us it's going like 65 miles an hour i have no idea what's going to happen next i don't know if he's going to jump out of the car i don't know if he's just going to try to run us over i have no idea so i hook arms with him and as he comes close i jump us into the bushes the car speeds past it just keeps on moving and We get out of the bushes and kind of dust ourselves off. And I look around and kind of evaluate the situation, find the farmhouse that's closest to us, and decide I'm going to walk there and I'm going to get help. And I hear more rustling in the bushes. And I see these two figures' heads pop out of the ditch. And they yell, GOTCHA! And it's my friends who have been hiding in the bushes, videotaping the entire thing. The car comes back, another one of my friends hops out, they bring out the seven-foot dummy, and it has all been a very elaborate prank. And they are fucking assholes.
0: Screaming Jay Hawkins behind me now. We have just one more story for you. This one comes from our uh, live show again at uh, the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles. This is John Flynn with a story we call The Hunting. <laughs> What's up? I
5: love uh...
3: So uh, my story happened uh, several years ago uh, when I was living in New York. I was cast in a brand new musical that was happening on Long Island. And it was, uh, it was a musical, <laughs> I, oh, buckle up, um, it was a brand new musical and it was about figure skating and, it's, and it starred Oksana Bayul. She does not appear in the story anymore, um, but I, I mean when you carry that name around you have to drop it. Um, And honestly, the show was ridiculous. I would love to spend the next three hours just reenacting it all for you, but I can't. It was at this theater where it was like this big piece of property where like the actors lived in this, what used to be a mansion, but they made it sort of like a dorm and you know, like, and then you rehearsed in that building over there and the theater was over there and that's where the costumes were and all that stuff. So there was a lot of actual figure skaters in the show and there were these two guys and you guys have probably experienced this like at work where there's like two people where you're working with are like totally hooking up. Everyone knows it and no one cares, but for some reason, these two people are like, what, no, we're not, why is everyone, no, we're not, we're just friends, why is everyone so weird? It's like, because you cuddle every night, you do each other's laundry, and the walls in the dorm are not very thick. Um, But they're like weird about it and annoying. Anyway, so I was lucky, I was one of the few people that had my own room, and so it was like this, it was no bigger than this stage, actually, and it had like a bed and a dresser and like a ceiling fan and a mirror, and I was like, it was all mine. And So one night while I was asleep, I sort of woke up to this very weird sensation where it felt like there was someone just kneeling on top of me, like right on my chest, with their face right up against mine, as if trying to like suck up my breath. Like it was just like this, like, <laughs> and I was like, tried to get up, but like, someone was kneeling on my chest, and I was like tired and didn't really know what was going on, so I just went back to sleep, um, because I'm a real go-getter, and um... And so the next morning I was having breakfast with these two people in the show, this guy and this girl, Michael and Jessica, they were dating and I become friends with them and they had worked at this theater for years. And so, you know, like they knew where everything was and how it all worked. And so we're just having breakfast and talking. I just sort of offhandedly go, oh, I had the craziest, weirdest dream last night. And I explain it to them and they both get like so excited and they go, oh my God, you were visited by the ghost last night. And I was like, uh, excuse me? And they were like, yeah, 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 the place is haunted. And, and then Jessica says, like, yeah, yeah, tons of people who've stayed in your room have had the exact same experience. And I was like, my agent did not tell me about that. <laughs> and I was like, what, what happened? And they're like, I don't know, this place is haunted. And there's some people in the staff house that say, a lot of people have said they've seen the, the body of a small child running up and down stairs looking for her head. Um... <laughs> And I was like, this is crazy. And they're like, yeah, it's totally true. Every, you know, like lots of people have had this experience. I was like, how how can we get behind the story of this? So like, well, you have to ask Robin. She's like one of the producers. And like this theater was like in her family, been passed down for generations. And so like now her and her brother were running it. She was like a producer and also the casting director. And Robin's like big claim to fame was that she had discovered a young Leonardo DiCaprio. So like on the door of her office was his nine-year-old headshot. And it was like very 80s because he had like a crisp denim jacket with like the collar popped and it's like a little nine-year-old Leo. And they're like, yeah, she knows the whole story, but like the only way you can get her to talk about it is if you get her high. And I was like, at the time, I was was also a drug dealer. So... (laughs) So I was like, oh, this is not a problem at all. Um, And I sort of like specialized. Well, all I did was I just made pot cookies. So I was like, let's set up a dinner date with Robin. I'll bring some cookies and we'll get to the bottom of this. And they were like, so we're having dinner tonight. I was like, perfect. Let's not waste time. So, uh, So we go to this restaurant down the street from the theater. I give everyone a delicious treat. We order some red wine and we're just having dinner and being a very adult, relaxed, cool conversation. And about an hour in, which is usually when the cookies start to kick in. So I'm like, so Robin what's the deal with all these ghosts? And she like does this sort of like, like just relaxes a little bit and she's like, well before I tell you the story, I just just need to let you know like I'm very intuitive. I've always been able to like speak to other spirits and you know like I'm just this really like in touch with intuitive person. Like that's why I'm a casting director. I'm like, of course. Uh, so she tells me the story like the history of this piece of property and apparently like 150 years ago that place was a stop on the Underground Railroad and I was like but we're on Long Island she's like these are for the slaves who like weren't stopping until they got to Canada they were just like nope we're gonna keep going Um, and so this was a very popular destination I don't know if you would say it's a very popular Underground Railroad resort (laughs) And so then after a while, like some people in the town had discovered what was going on. And so this like very angry racist mob all got together and they came to the house one night demanding the owners to like hand over the runaway slaves and they refused and, you know, they threatened them and they beat them and they apparently cut off their daughter's head right in front of them. And that explains the girl running up and down the stairs. And then they found some of the slaves and like beat and they raped them and they couldn't find more of them. They knew there were more there. So they set all these buildings on fire. So that is the reason why there are the ghosts of all these slaves who are trying to get your breath because they are suffocating. And she said, uh, eventually all the buildings were rebuilt, but there was one building that wasn't burned down. They just spared one room, which became the little theater for a while, but was not the theater the years where they just stored stuff there. And so... You know, she's like, so that's what that is. And I was like, well, that's cool. Uh, thank you for telling me. Um, so what should I do in case one of these ghosts come back again? And she goes, oh, don't worry about it. They're harmless. Just tell them that you're not going to bother them and they should move on and that's all you need to do. And I was like, really? That's it? Like, it just sounds so weird to me. There's like these people who are like beaten and suffocated. you are just like, hey, hey, step off. They're like, oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> Didn't realize you were one of the good ones. I'm out.) <laughs> um, so you know, so like we end our dinner, and we're, as we're driving back, Michael's like, uh, you know, Robin did mention this, but um, I have a key to that one theater that wasn't burned down, and there's one of the rooms that are in there. I have the key there, if you guys want to go." And I was like, "Fuck, yeah, let's go." <laughs> so like we get back to the, you know, to, to the property. And we're walking over to the theater, and you know, and like we're drunk and we're high, and we're just like, we're gonna fucking find some ghosts, and this is gonna be awesome. And as we get close to the building, like some of like the bushes around the building are like moving, and we're like, oh fuck, what's happening? And like we take out our phones and like shine lights on them, and it's like that figure skater and that chorus boy dancer who are like, what? We're not doing anything. And just, oh, you're just hanging out the bushes of a theater at one in the morning. What did you lose a contact lens? And they're like, oh, oh, we're just hanging out. What are you guys doing? We're like, we're like, you are not going to believe this, but this place is haunted. It was a stop in the Underground Railroad, and we're going to one of the rooms. Do you want to join us? And they're like, um, okay, I guess. <laughs> so we go inside to the place, and it's a theater. It's not too different than this. It's like a, a tiny little stage with like columns, and there's like a balcony. And so we go to the back of the stage, and there's like a trap door that's locked, and Michael opens it up, and it's just like just a black hole where you're just like, I don't know what is down there. So Michael's like, I'll go first. And I was like, yes, you will. Um, so then he goes down and like turns on a light. And so then Jess goes down and then I go down and I go, Are you guys coming? And they're like, Uh, we're going to stay up here. Thanks. <laughs> I was like, fine. So we go down into this room and it is, It's a little bit bigger than the stage. It's a circular room, and it was all, like, brown walls, and there was just, like, some lumber and, like, saw wood. There's just, like, one single solitary light just hanging, and there was a few, like, wires with, like, bent, misshapen, like, wire hangers hanging around. It was like we just entered Freddy Krueger's walk-in closet or something. (laughs) And so the three of us are sitting there, and, you know, again, we're, like, high and drunk, and it, would, it was just very weird, though, to be in this room that you were like, this was, this was a part of the Underground Railroad. Like, people who were, like, fearful of their life stayed here, and, and it was, like, hanging out in the Anne Frank room or something, but, like, more rapey. Um, you know, and then we were just like, man, racism's the worst. Yeah. Totally sucks, and... What do you think happens when we die? Like, I don't know. Maybe, I guess there are ghosts, and just, like, oh, man. And then, um... It was like a breeze went through the room, which was impossible because we were underground, but like we saw like sort of like the cobwebs and like some of the hangers just sort of like slightly breathe, and it was like freezing cold all of a sudden. And Jessica and I, without thinking about it, we both just stood up at the exact same time. And it, we were just like, what's going on? And I went, did you mean to stand up right now? And she just went, I'm standing? What? And... <laughs> And then Michael's like, oh my god, the ghosts are here, the ghosts are here. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then suddenly we hear a woman screaming from on top of the theater. And we're like, holy shit, let's get out of here. So we run up the little spiral staircase. And it turns out a professional figure skater sounds a lot like a woman when they scream. Um, But this guy was like pulling up his pants for some reason. And... uh, freaking out that he saw a ghost in like the balcony and we were like what what did what did it was like she's this woman and she looked like this and we're like did you see it and the other guy was like I didn't see it somehow and I was like yeah because you had balls on your chin that's why I didn't see it So then Michael's all like, oh, my God, let's, let's hang out and hang out with the ghost. And we're like, nope, we're leaving. We're getting out of here. So we all just, like, run outside. And it was weird because it was, like, this beautiful summer night, but we were all, like, freezing cold. I was like, my nipples could cut glass right now. This is so weird. And we were all just, like, sort of freaked out. And then we was like, all right, it's time to go to bed. And then, like, we go back to our, like, other building. And then, like, right as we were about to enter it, we all sort of stopped and just looked at each other. We didn't say anything. But I know we were all just like... We just left one haunted house to just go into another haunted house. And I am assuming the ghosts talk to each other. Like, I don't know. Like, they're like, here they come. (laughs) Like, like we are like the white people in horror movies that black people are like, don't go in the fucking house. But we were tired and we had rehearsal. so uh, we somehow uh, we all went to bed and, and for the next few days nothing happened but then a few days later I was asleep again and I woke up and on the ceiling fan above me you know those little like metal things that you pull it was sort of swinging back and forth very deliberately that was weird because it was just there but then I noticed in the mirror on the wall there was the silhouette of someone hitting it and so I just said in a stage whisper um I was like uh, hey um, um, it's totally cool you're here Uh, uh, like I don't care I'm totally fine with whatever I could share a room Um, but, but you should probably go you should probably move on and I know this sounds stupid and weird but in the mirror the silhouette walked out of the mirror the chain stopped swinging immediately and then the closet I had sort of slowly opened a little bit uh, and, uh, and that was it I was never visited by ghosts or anything else ever again but I did see Oksana Bayul naked a whole lot uh, thank you all very much
0: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Le Butcherette's behind me now. And don't forget Atlanta, Albuquerque, Minneapolis, and Seattle. We are coming to your towns very soon. Atlanta, our show there is on November 6th. We're actually still taking pitches for that. If you happen to hear this very soon, uh, we're still taking pitches. You can pitch me at kevinrisk at showcom If you'd like to be a part of that show, we also have workshops there. You can find out about the workshops at villagecomedy.com. Albuquerque, we are at Pornotopia, a festival celebrating uh, real porn, amateur porn. Uh, The show in Albuquerque is on November 13th, and I'm teaching some kink workshops at Pornotopia as well, so look into that. Minneapolis, we're there on December 4th get us your pitches kids get us those pitches we're also doing a workshop through Brave New Workshops when we are in town in Minneapolis and Seattle our show there is on December 12th please get us those pitches as soon as you can Seattle folks Uh, we want to do as great a show in Seattle this next time around as we did the last time around so much fun so yeah to find out anything about when our next live shows are just go to risk-show.com/tour happy Halloween everybody and remember folks today's the day take a risk hey! Just put that needle in what is known as my flip side.